You are listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Some people don't like church. I am not one of those people. I went to church for a really long time before anyone ever paid me to be here. I took my kids to church. Well, I I should rephrase that. Amy took our kids to church for a whole lot of years, and we never missed. And um, we just loved it. I, I don't really know why we loved it. We just loved it. We always had this sense of the presence of the Lord when we were with God's people, and we were just putting ourselves in a place where we could confess these things that we receive from the Lord together. There's something about that that's so incredible. Um, One of the most important things about being a part of the body of Christ is that we get to bear one another's burdens. There's a scripture in the New Testament where Paul talks about uh, we, we comforted with the same comfort that we ourselves were comforted with. So, you know, the only reason why you would need to be comforted is that you would find yourself in discomfort. Maybe you've had a lack of comfort in your life, and it's not always the case. You know, sometimes the body of Christ can be annoying and irritating, but a lot of the times... You are among the people of God and they offer you comfort when you can't get it in other places. And so I honestly would really like to pray this morning for the McMillan family. Um, it's, it's not a small deal that um, Donna lost her sister this week. And so um, I know Robin talked about it, but I think it deserves a little more than just talking about, right? So let's just do that. We don't have to move. Let's just agree together in prayer. Let's pray for the family. And um, Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us without. Lord, even in the times when we need comfort, you send your spirit through your people to give us strength and comfort and encouragement. So, Lord, I pray for Donna and Robin and all of the family, Father, that you would, um, you would speak through this suffering season, that you would be known in ways that you can't be known otherwise. And, Lord, we thank you for the ever-present hope on the horizon of resurrection. We thank you for that eternal hope, Lord, that resides in us even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'm what you call an accidental preacher. I was not on the schedule this week, but I think that the Lord did know that that I would be up here this week because he started speaking me immediately after my message last week. First thing he told me was, that was an incredible message, Andy. Um, but all kidding aside, I oftentimes think about what I've said and then 
inevitably questions arise to myself about what I said. And if you don't remember my message, we ended that message with really a a rather simple take. I mean, it was like I was up here as Captain Obvious and I was saying things like, trust God. Do you remember that part? It was kind of an important part of the message, right? The setup was a little better than the punchline, but nevertheless, trusting God was kind of the, you know, the final nail in the coffin. And so I was thinking in the yard, I was standing in my yard. I have this burn pile where I burn leaves. So I was out in the yard burning stuff. And I was thinking about that concept of trusting God. And I was thinking to myself, I was telling people to trust God, but how do we actually do that? I was thinking, how does one actually do that? Because the danger of the Christian life is that you live only in the land of theory. I think a lot of us get lost in our walks with the Lord because we live in the abstract. We get inundated with the theoretical. And then we say things like, well, that's too hard to understand. That's for spiritual people to do. I'm just going to go on with my regular life and let the spiritual people give me little hints and clues from time to time. That's not what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is inviting each and every one of us into a relationship of trust with him. All right? So I'm asking this question on Sunday afternoon. I'm thinking through the question even more on Monday. On Tuesday, we have staff meeting. And I walk into our staff meeting. And Robin's in there. And he's reading from Psalm 46. And then he turns over to Psalm 36 and he reads that. And it was like a bolt of lightning went off in the room, at least from my experience, I began to realize that God was answering my question. How, Lord, do I trust you? And Robin was reading these these scriptures. The, The title of my message today is, There is a River, okay? And I've known this language. I've known about this river language in the texts for a long time, but I have forgotten it. And I got brought back to it. And it was amazing to me because I felt like I was drinking afresh from this text. But if you want to read it with me, Psalm 46, it goes like this. I'm in the NIV translation. God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear that the earth give away and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Some, some translations say the nations rage. Kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord, the God of Jacob is our fortress. But it was this, this part, there is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God that really hit me. And then we turned over to Psalm 36. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but starting in verse 5. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice is like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights for with you is the fountain of life and in your light we see light all right i know this is scripture heavy but i'm going to read you one more text all of those are in the old testament we're going to jump forward into the new testament because i want you to see that there's this actual thread of a river that starts it actually starts in the garden it starts in genesis And there's actually a river at the very end in Revelation. And all through the text from beginning to end, there is a river. All right? Jesus calls out to it. It's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacle. And Jesus is in this moment. I'm not going to give you the full context of this. But for, for the sake of this discussion today, John 7, verse 37 goes, Now in the last day of the feast... The great day, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The one believing in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this concerning the spirit whom those having believed in him were about to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right. Okay, so here's what I want to start with today. I want to to start with this. Belief, belief is the fountainhead of joy. Your belief in Jesus is the fountainhead of your joy. It is the fountainhead of that river that we see in Psalm 46 and Psalm 36 and John 7. Belief is relief. That's a bumper sticker. It needs to be a bumper sticker. Belief in Jesus is relief. When you believe Jesus and his words, you are relieved from being the God of your own life. All right? When you decide to believe Jesus, when you become an active follower of his words, you are relieved from the pressure of being your own God. When you take the words of Jesus into your life and you begin following them, there will be conflict. So following Jesus is not an invitation into a life of ease. It's not the easy path. There is relief for you in your belief in following Jesus, but it doesn't mean that you will never have conflict. All right? In fact, it's actually a doorway into conflict. 
So a lot of the goodness of God that we're talking about, the faithfulness of God, the relief of following Jesus is not in the outward as much as it is in the inward. The most beautiful part about the body of Christ to me is it is actually an alternate society set up on the earth. It's actually a colony of heaven. When you get a bunch of people that are walking around with this river of living water on the inside of them, it actually does change the outward. But sometimes it takes a little while, all right? So when you become his disciple, you may have difficult circumstances in your life, but there is a river of the Lord and it is ever present. Okay? Following Jesus is not easy, but it's worth it. So backing up just a little bit. Last week, just going over that message just a little bit. We investigated that the reality of life is that it's unpredictable. Do you remember that? Okay. We took a look at the book of Job and the gospel of Luke, and we saw that difficulties are normal to the human experience and that following Jesus is not an end to the difficulty in your life. Amen? So we have seasons of our lives where life makes sense and we have understanding in God. And then we find ourselves in a season where we are, we are in a place where we do not understand. All right? We find ourselves maybe in a place where things don't add up the way they once did, where not much makes sense, where sometimes there is a lack of meaning and purpose, where there is mostly mystery, and there's hardly any answers to speak of. And to use a geographical metaphor, where once life was a green pasture, sometimes life is like a barren wasteland. Anybody can relate to that. You've been in the green pasture and you've been in the desert wilderness, okay? And we go through those times, those seasons of difficulty, and God reveals himself to us in a way that we do not understand. And so we say to ourselves, this cannot be God. Have you ever said that? Have you ever found yourself in a circumstance in your life that's very hard to understand? God has come to you in his unpredictability, in his unpredictableness, in a way that you do not understand. You find yourself discombobulated. You find yourself not knowing up from down. And you say to yourself, this cannot be God. God doesn't come to me like this. We have gotten so used to God coming to us in a way that we understand. And then he comes to us as the God that we do not understand. And our logic loving minds are forced into a place where they can no longer trust in our own logic of God. And we then have to learn how to trust in God himself. We move from trusting in our idea about who God is over into trusting God himself. There is a difference between those two things. Are you with me? 
There is a difference between your current understanding of God and who God actually is. Would it be safe to say that you and I do not know all there is to know about God? But most of the time, we are walking around the earth like we do understand. We do understand some things about the Lord, but there is much that we do not understand. And it is a big relief to the saints of God to confess to themselves on occasion, there are things about God in which I do not understand. And when my life comes to me looking like something that I do not understand, and my idea of who God is suddenly proves unreliable, that is not God leaving you behind. That is God leading you to the place where he can reveal to you who he actually is. So we oftentimes think we are trusting God but then we find out we are just trusting in an idea of God. We don't really find out if we are trusting God or if we are trusting in our idea of God until God allows circumstances in our life that challenge our working definitions of God's faithfulness. I was having a great time in worship this morning. When we were singing Sarah's song, King of My Heart, it has to be one of the best songs written in the last hundred years. I'm not kidding. That song doesn't lose its juice. It is always anointed. I don't care if there's a full band. I don't care if there's just an acoustic guitar player. That song was sent from heaven to the body of Christ for a whole lot of good reasons. All right? But I'll tell you this. There was a time when my idea of God was not measuring up to the lyric, you are good. There was a time when I was disappointed by what I thought God should have done for me and his faithfulness came into question for me. But the issue wasn't, is God faithful or is God good? The question is actually, What is God doing and what he is he doing that he is faithful at? That didn't make any sense at all. God is up to something that none of us really understand. And sometimes we're measuring his faithfulness and his goodness simply and only by our daily lives. You know what I'm talking about? And if we have a bad day, if we have a bad week, if we have a bad season, sometimes we get the wrong idea that God is either put out with us or he's not good or he might not be faithful. And that is where the battle is won or lost. 
God is not trying to prove himself faithful to your version of who he is and what he should be doing. He is trying you, trying to bring you over into the green pastures of who he actually is because there is a river and that's where that river is flowing. The river of God is flowing in the reality of God, not in your illusion of God. God is taking us to reality and reality is always better than illusion. Reality is that we have a God who is faithful and true, but he is working at things that we do not yet understand. So by his spirit, he is teaching us how not to lean on our own understanding, but with all of our being, how to trust him and him alone. God himself, not our idea of who he is or what he should do. God himself, there's a difference between those things. So the question remains, how do we actually trust God? I've got bullet points. I got numbers for y'all. Okay. I'm not just all, I'm not one of these preachers who's all over the road. I got bullet points. Okay. I, I said, I said this thing to Amy this week. I said, I've got this thing that I want to say, but I don't think I can say it from the pulpits. And then I said it to her and she said, yeah, you cannot say that. <laughs> but here I go anyways. <laughs> I am discovering that I can't really know God until I do not understand him. So many of us are stuck in our relationship with Jesus because we are working only from what we understand about him. And what we understand is so limited and our instincts are screaming at us that we are we're totally bored. We're totally bored in our walk with Jesus. But we refuse to get off the thing that we understand to go into the thing that we don't understand. So God in his wisdom allows circumstances in our life that can only do nothing but totally mystify us. It is only in your mystification in your misunderstanding of the Lord, that he can actually reveal himself as he really is. And that, that is the place of real trust. That is the place where we learn to really trust Jesus. So, Number one, how do we trust God? This is going to sound so obvious, but maybe it's not to you. I'm kind of getting a new revelation on this. The first way we learn to trust God is that we embrace suffering. This is not a popular sermon. Okay? This is not going to get me invited to any conferences. Because suffering is on the hierarchy of evangelical charismatic values, suffering as a virtue is way, way, way down here. But it was Jesus's main work. He 
embodied and embraced the will of the Father in his life. He embraced suffering in his life. He actually found the will of God and the presence of God in suffering. So I'm going to say a strange word. It's the word sacramental, okay? The deal is this. Christians should view suffering as being sacramental. And what I mean by that is this, that God is present with us in our difficulties. Okay, I grew up in the charismatic Pentecostal church. I spent half of my life rebuking bad things. I spent most of my life believing that when trouble was here, God was somewhere else. I thought all the time, especially as a young person, that when I was going through difficulties, it was a sure sign that God the Father was put out with me, that he had left me behind, that there was some wide chasm between me and God because I was going through hard things. And for some reason, I never saw that hardship and difficulty and trouble and suffering were actually part of the disciples' call in following Jesus. And when a person is going through troubles, many kinds, various kinds of troubles, James, the apostle said, count it all joy. And I did everything but that. I actually thought it was a disqualifier. I thought it was actually something I needed to be rescued from. I actually thought it was something to get out of my life. And all the while, the spirit is beckoning me into it. And he's doing his best work through it. So if you have difficulty in your life, you are actually experiencing revival. If you have trouble in your life, you are actually in the seedbed where the Holy Spirit does his most potent work. If you feel hidden, if you feel unseen, if you feel like you're walking in the darkness, you are in the very place where God does the most, the most of the time. God is not spanning the earth looking for stages with lighting rigs and PA systems in order for him to be able to move. God is on the move through suffering the most all the time. Do you know why this is true? Because life on earth is hard and most people are experiencing difficulty most of the time. If you can't find God in difficulty, then you can hardly ever find him. Do you know... If you can't find God in difficulty, then only the richest 1% in the world could ever actually enjoy life on earth. Do you know what I'm saying? Is this resonating with you? We trust God by embracing suffering. Our mindset should be that when difficulty is present, so is God. Trouble is not the absence of God. Trouble includes the presence of God. So much of what God wants to do in us happens as we embrace the difficulties in our lives. In a way, we must enter into those difficulties instead of always trying to get out of them. Do you spend a lot of energy trying to get yourself out of difficulties in your life? Okay, I think you should, honestly. I think that if you can create a little order out of the chaos of your life, you should go ahead and make those choices. As I said it last week, dream a little dream, make a plan, order your life. Don't let your life go to crud. You know, this, none of, none of what I'm saying is, is 
telling you to let your life fall to shambles and call it God. What I'm saying is that there are things in your life that are absolutely out of your control that you have no control over. And rather than spending all your time walking around those things, God is asking you to walk through them. That's all I'm saying. That's what it means to embrace suffering is you look it straight in the eye and you walk through it. Graham Cook puts it like this. This is so genius. I love this. Sometimes I wish I was Graham Cook. He says this, when you're not fully trusting in the Lord, you're concerned mostly about being rescued. I'm a Christian. Get me out of here. And the Lord is saying, you're kidding, right? I want to teach you who you are in this situation. In some of our situations, he gives us power and authority to move. And in other situations, he gives us patience because that works just as powerfully and it's just going to take a few extra weeks. That's pretty good, isn't it? Anyone can go a few weeks with some challenges. Some of us are carrying impossible situations that have lasted for months and even years. But let me just say this to you. For those of you who have carried stuff for years, suffering is not a life sentence for ongoing lament. Suffering is not the same thing as never living without joy. When you hear me say suffering, I'm not talking about not living your life without joy. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you will suffer and the river of God is present in your life through it all. The book of James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. All right, number two, how do we trust God? How do we actually trust God? We embrace the eternal view. We go from having a view that's just about this life right here and right now to having a long-term eternal view. God is always playing the long game. We're playing the short game. He's playing the long game. Make sure you don't judge your life by the short game. A lot of people make bad mistakes in their life because they're playing the short game. Jesus is playing the long game. All right? We know that God is working all the time, even when we cannot see it. We trust God that his spirit is at work in every circumstance and we confess that. All right. This is really important. I want you to hear this. This is the reality of life on earth. Not every prayer, not every hope is going to be answered on this side of heaven. Right? Keep praying. Keep hoping. But just realize that the reality of your life is not every prayer is going to be answered and not every hope is going to be realized. All right? And here's why. Well, I mean, in the book of Hebrews In chapter 13, it talks about all these people who lived lives of faith but did not see the promises fulfilled in their lifetime. This is the biblical witness of this, y'all, okay? Here's why not every prayer is going to be answered and not every hope is going to be realized because life on earth isn't supposed to be your all and all. Jesus Christ is your all in all. 
I said it last week. Your breakthrough is not your breakthrough. Jesus is your breakthrough. He is the thing that we're after. He is the one that we're after. So thank the Lord when we have these wonderful blessings that come to our to us in our lives, right? I mean, I am thankful for the pleasures of life. Like, I like to go to the mountains. I like to see sunsets. I like good meals. I like a good bottle of wine. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love having a nice home. I love air conditioning. I love being able to order groceries on Amazon. I like to be, you know, all of these types of things that we enjoy. These are not bad things, but they are not our master. They are our servant. We have to have a hierarchy of values where Jesus is at the top and pleasure is not. Pleasure is way down here. We enjoy these things in a healthy way, but we live to the Lord, okay? That's part of embracing that eternal view, all right? So number three, how do we trust God? Actually, we embrace the continual practice of coming under the lordship of Jesus. Y'all, um, I have been closely related to the body of Christ now for a long time. I've been in leadership for a little while now. I've been in pastoral ministry for a little while now. And in, in my heart, in my heart, I actually have concerns I have concerns for not just young people, but people in general, okay? I, I have concerns that the body of Christ is more inclined to listening to the conventional wisdom that we hear in culture rather than to the voice of the Spirit. We are more inclined to giving ourselves to the conventional wisdom of the world that we live in rather than to the weighty authority of the text of Scripture and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And part of that has happened because we have lost sight that Jesus is the Lord and we are his servants, that Jesus is the master and that we are the disciples, that Jesus is the teacher and we are the students. Part of why there's so much anxiety within Christians these days is because they have become their God all of a sudden. And it's happened suddenly. There's so much confusion among believers anymore. I mean, so much has been called into question about following Jesus. I will, I will admit this. There are a lot of texts in the Bible that are difficult to understand, but there are many that are very easy to understand. I I read this scripture in Luke this week where Jesus is telling his disciples that it costs people everything to follow me. And I feel like that message has been lost especially not to pick on the American church, but there's so much excess. There's so much celebrity. There's so much of a push towards money and fame. There's so much of a a push towards 
uh, being influential and being powerful. And all the while, Jesus is like, oh, you, you might be influential, but you're, you're no longer learning the right lessons. You're, you're totally infatuated with how, how bright you're shining and you're not learning these virtues of humility and peacemaking and loving your enemy and loving your neighbor and walking in humility and getting free from sexual sin and loving and honoring your parents and taking care of the elderly and infirmed and feeding the poor and distributing money to those in need. You've gotten so in awe of, of all that you're doing that you've actually forgotten who I am, who I actually am. And so I just, I get this sense that the Lordship of Jesus Christ is going to become a really important theme in the body of Christ. The people of God have to come back under their God. Amen? Do I follow Jesus only when and because it benefits me? Or will I follow him into places that are difficult? That's the question I've had to ask myself recently. Am I willing to give up money as my God? Do you know you don't have to be a rich man to have money as your God? You can be poor and be obsessed with money. There are plenty of rich people who, whose money is, money is not their God. It doesn't control them. But when I was going through this list of things that had control over my own heart, I felt Jesus asking me that. Are you willing to give up having money as your God? Are you willing to give up having pleasure as your God? Are you willing to give up your will for my will? Are you willing to confess sin on a regular basis so that you can be healed? Are you willing to be formed and disciplined by scripture? Are you willing to give scripture a greater place in your life than conventional wisdom? Number four, this is how we we learn how to trust God. We embrace the Holy Spirit in every season of our lives. This is how my life has gone. Church is really good. The band's really swinging. People are singing loud. So Holy Spirit's moving. When none of that's going on, the Holy Ghost ain't here. And the Lord is teaching me, nope, that's not right. I'm always here. I'm always moving you just have to develop eyes that can perceive. You have to, you have to have eyes that can see that I'm moving in every season and in every situation of your life. This is so important, y'all. Awareness of the Holy Spirit is vital to having an ongoing life with God. We read this already, but that scripture in John 7, that scripture of the river, That river that we see in Psalm 36, that we see in Psalm 46, that is really a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit poured out 
on everybody. And, and I am, I am really realizing that the reason why we don't think that that is true more often is because our eyes have been blinded. We have lost awareness of the presence of the Lord in our daily lives. You know, when you're standing at the sink doing dishes, God is there. The manifest presence of God, if you're standing at the sink and your kids are running through the house like maniacs, the Lord is there. The Lord is present, ever present, ever working. So here here are some things that the Holy Spirit is not, all right? The Holy Spirit is not you having a good time at church, all right? So you can't judge the Holy Spirit by whether you've had a good time at church or not. Even if you've had a good time, which we hope you have, we want you to have a good time at church. That is not necessarily the same thing as God moving. I think he was moving, but it's not the only way he moves. All right? You can actually go to church and have a really bad time and God still moved mightily. In fact, me and my wife have this, we have this conversation all the time. One of us had a great time in worship. The other one says, is there a God? You know what I'm talking about? Your spouse is like, man, that worship was the best ever. And your spouse says to you, are you kidding me? I hate that band. Every time that band shows up, I have to leave the room. Oh, I'm just kidding. Not really, though. Okay. The Holy Spirit is not your personal prosperity. All right? If you've been judging that God is moving and God is faithful and God is doing good work in your life because you are prospering in your bank account, in your emotional health, and in your all the other things that you measure you're thriving by, if, you, if you've been prospering and you've been measuring the move of God by that, you would be measuring it wrong because there's seasons when that stuff ebbs and God is still moving. All right? Number three, the Holy Spirit is not your personal Santa Claus. He is not a tool in your toolbox. He is not a means to your end. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead Trinity and is the gift of God's presence and power to us in every situation. So do you know what it means I'm just going to be a little vulnerable with you for a second here. Do you know what it means to be a Pentecostal charismatic person? I mean, I, I know that there's a lot of folks that don't come from that background, but, but I do. And I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be a Pentecostal person, somebody who believes in an ongoing manifested display of the Holy Spirit and power. And I've realized it's, it is only simply this that I am looking for the manifest presence of God in every moment and season of my life, and I find him. That hasn't always been the case for me. There's been seasons where I've been looking for him and thought that I couldn't see him when I was actually looking him straight in the eyes. If you're a Pentecostal, Holy Ghost-filled person, 
That doesn't mean you are good at spotting good church services. That doesn't mean you're good at spotting the places where people are falling down and shaking. It may include those things, but it is not only those things because there are plenty of places where those things aren't happening where God is moving. And Pentecostal people feel it. They see it. They sing it. They write about it. They display it. I was sent an article this week by a friend it was, an, it was a piece out of the New York Times, and it was a, a historian's, uh, this African-American woman had written a, a piece about um, slave spirituals as poetry and resistance. And I'm reading this article, and halfway through, I just begin weeping because, because these folks... Slavery started in 1619 and ended in 1865. That's not a bad week, y'all. That's generations stacked upon generations of suffering. And these were Holy Ghost Pentecostal people that were seeing God move in their midst all the while. If they had been waiting to experience God in the day of their deliverance, many of them would have never seen the Lord. But there was this one piece in particular that really hit me hard. These, these folks that are working these fields in these very wicked and unjust situations, they start asking themselves the question, will our oppressors be in heaven too? Will the people that are afflicting us be in heaven too? And you know what their answer was? In a song, they began to sing, all God's children have wings. These folks were singing their their oppressors into the kingdom of God. They were singing. They were singing their oppressors the ones that were withholding mercy, the ones who were withholding justice on these people, these folks were applying mercy and justice to their oppressors and singing their oppressors into the kingdom of God. You can only do that if there is a river running through you. You can only do that If your eyes are not only set on your circumstances, it's not the denial of your circumstance. It's the intermingling of your current circumstance with a greater one. And you know that heavenly hope, that eternal hope, that hope of resurrection, you can never subtract that from the Christian faith because there are some folks on this planet that will be deprived of their children, that will be deprived of their family through some injustice, that the hope that remains for them is an eternal one. And brothers and sisters, that is the thing that resides in you right now. That eternal hope, that river, that song, that poetry, that passion, that power, that ability to carry suffering into any and through any situation is actually the light that you shine. It is the salt of flavor that you carry into the earth. 
And I would say that some of us are a little bit bored of walking through this city because the thing that we're afflicted by is our prosperity. The thing that we're afflicted by is our current understanding of God. And we have been jettisoning, jettisoning the difficulties, thinking that if we got rid of those things, we would feel happy again. If we got rid of those things, the satisfaction would come back. If we got rid of those things, then we would finally find our footing and the spirit is drawing us through the difficulty because he's saying that is where you will find me. Is this resonating with anybody in here today? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't care if you speak in tongues. I don't care if you have any theology about being baptized in the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter. If you are a believer in Christ, there is a river that's flowing inside of you. The, I, I picked the translation. The, the, the Berean translation literally says belly. Most translations say heart. The actual literal word in that Jesus used is belly. It's like that it's, it's where your guts are. It's where your instincts live. It's that thing that, that you can feel. That's where that thing resides. The true mark of a Christian is not that you never suffer. It's not that you are always pro- prospering. Don't measure your life by those things. God is present When you need nothing and God is present when you need everything. But the river is here. That river is flowing through your life in your circumstance. God is not waiting for you at the point over there when you finally achieved your idealized life. He is here right now. There is a river of delight and you need to drink from it. And the river's name is Jesus. That's so good, isn't it? So good. Does anybody want to respond to this message this morning? Let's just stand up. Let's do that. I don't know what else to do. I mean, I guess I could say stand on your head or something like that, but standing is as, as a good a thing as any. Um, I, I just want to say, I don't pray prayers inviting heartache into my life. I, I never, I never ask for it. I don't go looking for it. I'm, I'm trying to live my best life now. I'm just really being honest with you. But I'm 47 years old, and every decade of my life has been marked with severe heartbreak. Every decade of my life, I'm going, I'm finishing five decades in three years, and every decade of my life has been marked by severe heartache of one kind or another. I used to be ashamed of my scars. I used to be ashamed of my heartbreak and my heartache, okay? And and we don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed of the things that have marked us and formed us. I wanna say this one last thing and then I'll dismiss. The Renaissance painters, they would often paint pictures of Jesus and he would have porcelain skin. 
His face was porcelain-like. But I have this theory that that was an accurate, an inaccurate representation of Jesus. Because Jesus was scourged so badly. He was marked so badly. I, I believe that that cat of nine tails oftentimes did not just hit his back and sides. I'm pretty sure it got his face too. And in the text we see after his resurrection, many times he was not recognized by the people who knew him the best. And my theory is that he was scarred in his face too. Isn't it interesting to think that the God of the universe would humiliate himself, humble himself to become a human being. And then after he suffered and died, thought it was a good idea not to lose the scars on his hands and feet and in his side and maybe on his face, that that we would actually know him, that his scars would actually be his glory, his crown of glory that we would gaze upon for all eternity. Isn't it incredible to think that? And I imagine as you and I are made in his image, those scars that we have gained through this life that we will carry into the next phase of our existence someday, we don't have to be afraid of those things or ashamed of those things. Amen? Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for your faithful work that has started in us at some point in history, even when we weren't aware of it. All the days, Jesus, that we haven't been aware of your power working in our life, we just want to acknowledge and say thank you for moving, even when we don't see it and acknowledge it. Lord, it's our prayer today that you would truly open the eyes of our hearts and that you would lead us through and past our misunderstandings of you out of our illusions into really trusting you, into a radical life of trust. In your name we pray, amen. Y'all can be dismissed. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.